0: Hi, I'm Daniel Budai and this is the Ecom Show a podcast where you can learn more about the world of high-performing e-commerce players and marketers. The show is brought to you by the team of Budai Media. Let's grow your e-commerce business together. Hey everyone, here is Danielle again, and welcome to the next episode of the Ecom Show. And I'm here with Josh today, and I'm really happy that uh, he's here today because he will share his experience and all of his knowledge with us about many different topics. Hey, Josh! Hey, Josh! Uh, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing, I'm doing well. I'm doing really awesome. How are you doing?
0: Very well, very well. This is this is uh, my last program today before going to the gym so so yeah awesome um uh, yeah please uh, tell us more about yourself and your company what what you do exactly how you help um companies
1: yeah so i got started about 17 years ago building websites and i'm um, my dad's tree service actually he had a small business and i was about 13 and i wanted to get into building websites and uh did, did that and then next thing i know i'm like okay how do i get people to go to this website. And so I started learning about, you know, SEO and got some keywords in there. And the next thing I know, it's like his business is exploding. I'm like, wow. Okay. There's a lot of, there's really a lot of value in this. So his small business friends started asking me to build him websites. Next thing I know, I'm like 13 and freelancing. And, uh, that just kind of started from there, and then I, you know, I started getting into uh, affiliate marketing. I am like, hey, I am building these websites. How do I make you know my own websites? I started making my own websites. How do I make money off of it? So, started doing um, you know, affiliate marketing and and building that up. And I got into e com and a bunch of stuff. I did that for many years, and then kind of burnt out on that. And was like, I want to start working with more of those you know businesses like my dad's again. So I started an agency and did that for about three years and then we merged with another local agency and things just exploded from there um we were doing you know we were we were we were we see a lot of awards we got to work with like really cool uh, really cool teams um got to got to really do some really cool impactful work uh but also like i i was working 100 plus hour weeks and i, I just kind of burnt out and uh decided to exit the the business and Buy an RV and just kind of travel the country for two years here in the United States, and it was awesome. Um, but then, you know, I, I from there wanted to try something else, um, so I, I started consulting. I, I just kind of did it as an experiment while I was on the road working with some some of my some of my colleagues that I could help out, and I really enjoyed it. And so after about 2 years of that uh I of uh, being on the road I'm like all right I want to I kind of want a mission I want something I want to tr- try and solve a, a real issue. And I started thinking about with the agency like why did that not work? You know, what why why what what about that didn't work both from from a standpoint of operating the business but also like with the work that we're doing for clients because I one of the things about the agency life is that you you work with Uh, so many different clients and you're spread very, very thin. So we, we, you know, a lot of our clients were very happy with the work we were doing, but I always feel like we could do, we could have done more. And so I started thinking about what was that more, you know, what, what if we, if the, if we had a different model where instead of, you know, scale, scale, scaling and having, you know, the, the issue with the agency model is that, you know, you, you, you have to be, Pretty spread thin for cash flow. Most agencies they operate on a ten to fifteen percent profit margin, and you got about a twenty percent churn rate. Uh, so you got to constantly get projects in, and you got to constantly do whatever. So the consulting model was really interesting to me because you didn't have those bottlenecks. You could have a lean team of people, or even just do it yourself, and and get really deep in with these brands and these companies, and really truly understand their problems. And one of the the, the really interesting things about the agency life was. I got to work with hundreds and hundreds of different businesses and all different types of industries. And I started seeing a lot of very consistent uh, issues time and time again. And some of these issues, you know, like, and, you know, if they were a manufacturing company, they had solutions, and it was kind of everybody in the industry kind of knew what those solutions were. But then if you were, you know, e or you were in the financial wealth management sector or you were, you know, one of these other industries, they had no idea that there were solutions out there. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of these people thought they were like industry specific solutions, but they weren't. It, it, it was just applying it in different ways and so i so when i started consulting and i got really deep into these organizations all levels of it whereas with the agency you know you're usually just working with the mm-hmm. ceo founder cmo whatever yeah. um, it, you just don't get as deep so as i started working with all levels from, you know, product development, customer service, social media product, uh, mm-hmm. uh, content development, the C, you know, the founders, I started working at all levels. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'm really seeing where a lot of these bottlenecks are and where a lot of these systemic problems that kind of rise to the top where they're born uh, and how they, how they, how they come to be. But with, you know, all those businesses that I had worked with over the years, I started seeing, oh, we could apply, you know, this manufacturing company over here had that solution. And this was this book that everybody in the industry, you know, that was like gospel for them. Uh, I gave that to the team and I'm like, hey, let's, let's implement this stuff. And it was working. And that just kept happening time and time and time and time again. Mm -hmm. And I think it's one of those things where it's just like people You know, like, for example, with an e-com, they tend to look for inspiration and answers within e-com. But usually there's completely other industries out there that have solutions to the problems that they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of one of the unique things that we've been working on is how can we take all these best practices, you know, almost like a DJ. How can we take all the various elements from all these different industries and business types and business models and make them come together into this kind of holistic framework? and be better than the sum of its parts. So that's really what the like the last 2 years we've been working on um and and mainly looking at it from the the engine of of it the kind of the core of it being marketing uh, because that's how we can gather the data we can have the insights is how we can you know prove revenue and scale all this and that's also you know my background mm-hmm. but also it's been looking at it from a business you know business process standpoint and one of the interesting things that I didn't really think would happen. Uh, I wasn't expecting it, I guess, but in, in retrospect, it kind of makes sense. Is a lot of what I've been personally doing, just just me, kind of removed from my team, is working and kind of advising and being a, almost like a mentor to a lot of these other founders. Because I've kind of gone through, I've worked with so many leaders and founders. I've 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 seen it happen so many times, and I myself have gone through. I've started many businesses, and you know, I've gone through the. Uh, you know, the, the the crash and burn and the rise and the falls and all these other things in my own, you know, my own, own, own life. So I, I've been kind of a mentor to them and helping them make sure that they're not only leading the, you know, making sure that the business they're, they're driving the business in a way that makes sense for them, their team and their mission and their customers rather than the business kind of driving them.
0: Yeah. It's so easy to start doing things which are not relevant as a CEO or founder. And I experience mm-hmm. the same every day as a, as a as the CEO of our agency. Um, how do you see the main difference between the consulting, consulting and the agency model?
1: There's a lot. So I frankly think that's actually one of the things that we've been kind of working on as a side kind of like a side mission is what is the next iteration of the agency model? Because I've talked with hundreds of consultants and agency owners over the last like two years, I've been networking with as many as possible um, to try and figure out what have people been doing. I'm basically applying what we've been doing with our clients, like looking at all these various business models and these solutions for these e-commerce teams but i've been thinking about this for ourselves as consultants and agency owners what's the next iteration and so i've been looking at a lot of the work that you know david c baker and blair ends and some of these other people have been doing as far as like um, sales economic models and sustainability and trying to figure out you know what's the next thing because the, the the universal the absolutely i've i've almost I don't I don't think I can recall a single person really over the last couple of years I've talked to that doesn't have a problem with the agency model. whether they're inside the agency or outside that world, clients have are constantly. You know, you know, one of the first conversations I have with people was like, hey, I owned an agency and all these problems. I, I'm well aware of it. And I'll sit there and list off all the problems that I'm sure that they've had, like this, 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 this and this. And, you know, if we're face to face or, you know, now over Zoom, like they're just they're like nodding their head. Like, yeah, absolutely. I have had that time time again. And afterwards, they're like, how did you know all that? And I'm like, because I was on the other side of it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I've I've yeah. had so many people, clients, unfortunately, tell me those horror stories. So. Um, yeah. You know, I try to try with our business to not to not do that and to to solve that as much as possible. But to to answer, you know, go back to your original question, the biggest issue is incentive. So, the agency model, like I said before, you know, you've got ten to fifteen percent profit margin, twenty percent churn rate every six to twelve months, depending on uh, on that. Yeah. So, when you have that, you have to have a lot of clients. Uh, you you have to constantly get new clients and you're spread very thin and there's just really no way unless you're you know a very lean boutique agency or you're a very big agency that ch- uh, charges a lot of money like a McKenzie or something like that, uh, you have to basically have you know, your Don Drapers, Uh, your, you know, your, 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 your big experienced talent that kind of pulls people in. And then you have to have a lot of, you know, junior staff to, to spread it out. So what'll happen is, is that, you know, you'll, you'll get a new client in and then you'll bring on the A team and the client's really happy. And the first, you know, they'll have your discovery meetings and all this other stuff. The, you know, they'll help set up the create the 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 strategy and they'll do all that. And then after, you know, month two, three or four or whatever, you'll start seeing the junior team kind of taken over. And then basically that, you know, the Don Drapers of, of, of the agency are then now working on the next client that just came in. And and it just keeps happening. And the only time really they'll revisit it, you know, this goes back to how good the model is that the agency's following. Some some agencies have rules and they have, you know, they have systems and they have processes to help prevent this as much as possible. But it's it's basically in practice, what I see more often than not, 90 to 95% of the time, is that those the high-end talent will only come back to really work on the account, like when there's a fire to put out um, or, you know, like once every six months or once every 12 months. And it, mm-hmm. th- th- the biggest issue is the agencies are not, the incentive is not aligned with the client. So if you're a client, you hire an agency, what are the economic models? Like what is the, how, how do they, how do they bill? How does the agency bill you? Well, it's either hourly, which is you know vast majority of smaller agencies or it's product project based Um, so if it's hourly, it's like their incentive is, whether intentional or not, is to basically pad as many hours as they can. And if it's a retainer or it is a project basis, it is to do the least amount of work for that money as possible. So neither of those is good. Now, you have this kind of new you know, this, this, this smaller that, you know, of single digit uh, percentage of, of, of agencies typically do, which is like a value-based pricing, but that gets really fuzzy a lot of the time. And it's very, it's a very case by case basis. And there's very few agencies and consultancies that I've seen that really have a kind of systematized, uh, you know, value-based pricing that is, is there, and even then it's like you kind of have to pad that out. It's, it's hard to entirely be value-based pricing unless, you know, you are a very, Boutique kind of high end consultancy, so the the that that's one thing, and the the agencies are not incentivized for optimization. The, I think the most extreme and easiest uh example of this is with your you know your paid search or paid social uh, agencies that that charge based on a percentage of ad spend. I don't know how that came to be, um, but it's crazy. Because I'll come in with a client and I'll look at what they're doing with paid search. And, you know, SEO is kind of my, my, my background personally and, and my own, you know, kind of, uh, you know, marketing toolkit, like kind of the main thing I rely on. And I'll look at what they're doing and I'm like, you guys are just adding more and more and more. You're just making the account more and more bulky. They're not incentivized to go in and optimize because that actually can hurt their revenue month over month. Because they're like, okay, well, we just made all these ads way more effective. Our, you know, our, our click through rates are up. Our, our conversion rates are up. Uh, ROAs is, is is better. Okay, well, that your ads probably just got more cost effective. So you basically that that, that didn't help increase the agency's uh, monetization. So, and even if you, you try and balance that out, the incentive always largely edges you to just adding more and more to the account. And there's just, there's so many like big brands that I've worked with where I go in there and I'm like you guys are not iterating on this at all like there's just so much low-hanging fruit and it's just because they're not incentivized to to do that work and you could apply that yeah. to almost everything about the agency model whereas the consulting model which don't get me wrong the consulting model also can have a lot of the same issues but why i like the consulting model is because they are incentivized to come in and make your team better not necessarily reliant on them and that can happen in the consulting model for sure. But as an actual model itself, they are coming in and advising and trying to make your team better and empower what you're doing. And by doing that um, and having more of a focus on your in-house team and in-house capabilities, that is kind of the tie that raises all ships and your in-house team can be incentivized for optimization rather than just kind of grow, 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 scale, scale, scale.
0: Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. In the last few episodes with other guests, we, talked about this topic and it's uh, it's a very interesting topic personally in our agency. Um, I, I, I really like both models and I try to kind of, uh, you know, coming up with a hybrid model. Um, we have a value based pricing and usually we charge a flat free fee plus some revenue share from the extra revenue we we generate and, re- and recently we introduced a uh, ROI guarantee or or result guarantee. Um, And I'm I'm a big fan of consulting as well. I don't know if you heard about Alan Weiss. I just finished his book, The Consulting Bible. And uh, I think of our team, agency team, more like a team of consultants. Um, Not really like, uh, and we will also cap the number of clients to 20 maximum because, you know, we, I, I think it's better if we focus on a certain area and we have those clients who, who fit up, fit the best, you know, who, where we can see a natural fit between mm-hmm. each other. And, and it's much better than getting like 50 clients, 100 clients. And as you said, we go too thin and... A lot of juniors coming in and and management is just, it it becomes tough after a while inside the agency. So so it's very interesting. And I uh, think the other thing is once you move into the direction of building the strategy and not doing repetitive work all the time for the client, then it's just better for everyone and as a consultant it's easier to do that than, than an agency so you create the strategy for uh like i don't know like email marketing strategy or or seo strategy or e- or even uh, the brand strategy for one for the next one year i think that's uh that's higher value and that's a bigger win to the client than just uh creating um i don't know like 20 social media posts per month
1: um, yeah, absolutely. I think those arbitrary metrics are are really bad. Like, you know, I mean that's an issue like with SEO space where it's just like I really don't identify with most of the people in SEO because they're doing this like, we'll do this many articles or this many SEO out blog topics, or we're gonna do this, that, and that. I'm just like, oh, yeah. why does that matter? Like what what really what really is the benefit of, of, of doing that? I mean, there's, there's tr- truly, obviously, like a benefit of just, you know, consistently creating good content. Yeah, sure. But are you just arbitrarily creating that content or is there actually like a need behind it? And like, does is it actually really align with what your customers are looking for? Or are you just trying to, you know, fill, check a box for the month? And that's yeah. a big, that's a big D-building. issue. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And yeah it's repeating what, what, the keyword all the time. <laughs> These three. Yeah. yeah
1: it's it can be bad and like on the the something that's interesting is like you, you mentioned the you know alan weiss and and the, the, all that it's like you said you had a, a maximum amount of clients and like that's kind of the same the same uh, philosophy that we have as well where it's just like uh you know the, the, in the one, one of those examples actually where one of the clients the one of the solutions they had actually impacting uh, not not, uh, not only some of the our clients but our business is uh in, in the financial in the wealth uh, management space there is a a, a, f- a thing called the supernova model and there's a book called the supernova advisor and it's where merrill lynch some of the executives of merrill lynch came up with this this mm-hmm. model and it completely changed the wealth management uh sector it just completely changed it and they have this 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 law where it's basically like min max. So you have a minimum amount of spend that Mm -hmm. a client has, uh, investable assets that a client has to be able to have for you to work with them. Uh, to truly be able to, you know, provide the kind of value and service that you need and also a maximum amount of those clients. So usually, you know, it's like, maybe it's like, you know, $2 million or $20 million in investable assets or whatever, just, whatever, whatever that, that makes sense for you. And then a maximum amount of clients. So maybe that's 80 or that's 100. I, I believe it was like 100 uh, is either 80 or 100. It's, it's been a while since I've read it, but uh, that, that they would have. And you have to stick to that now and and that is something that it's just completely changed um you know that whole entire industry and we've applied that to ourselves as consultants but also there's even other uh, other applications for some of the businesses that we've worked with where you know particularly like some of the b2b clients where they can actually imply that themselves and it's been really game changer and i think that one of the takeaways is like what are your minimums and what are your maximums for anything that you do uh, you know, it's as far as like being able to put together MVP or your systems or whatever else. And I think that can make you if you just think about that, like what's the min and what's the max, mm-hmm. you can apply that to almost anything kind of like an 80 20 principle, where it makes you think about constraints. And I think constraints are so, so important, particularly like if you, you know, you want to stay fairly lean, or you want to grow, but you want to grow intentionally. Um, otherwise, you just get these random maximum improvement, and that's when you start having these kind of downward spirals uh, occur, where you start just kind of the the machine just starts growing in all these crazy directions, and it kind of becomes like the the, the singular question that I always ask, you know, clients, and and, and even myself, and life, and in business, and, and and everything else is, what are you optimizing for? And if you don't have a very clear idea of what you're optimizing for you're going to let the algorithm or whatever the incentive is dictate that and that's where things start steering off in crazy directions because it's kind of like the whole you know paperclip thing where it's like you you have this ai that uh just you know it's told hey make paper clips and it's just going to start just completely going crazy and going rogue and it's just making as many paperclips as it can but it's just like you know how how are you directing that and 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 i think that's something that a lot of of, founders and and leaders of companies like don't really think about, honestly, until it's too late. Or they're already so far down that rabbit hole, yeah. now they're dealing with the repercussions of having not asked that question much, much earlier.
0: Yeah, and many business owners, especially small, medium-sized businesses, they focus on growth too much. And I, I noticed the same on myself. And uh, on, with, with many business, uh, with many e-commerce business owners, they focus a lot on growth and they ignore almost everything else like, like profitability or, or sustainable cash flow, um, customer, uh, you know, satisfaction and all of these things. And that's not that's not healthy. Um, I think it's better to grow a bit slower, but, you know, it's more sustainable. And I just read this uh, quote or, or phrase the other day that uh, every KPI uh, triggers a behavior. So if you start, um, if you set as your main, uh, metric, your revenue, then, then probably growth will be your main thing in your head. You always want to increase the revenue, wh- whatever, it, it doesn't matter, uh, what's happening, you, you, fo- you, will focus on the revenue. And if you set your, uh, profit margin as your KPI, you will think differently. Or, or your customer satisfaction, you will think differently. We, just uh, last week, we changed our main KPI and uh, our main KPI from now on will be the extra revenue we generate for clients. So we, we changed that and I think it will shift our focus as well. So that's very interesting. Um Josh, I I know you have experience uh, with with SEO, a ton of experience and with other marketing channels as well. And uh, I'm really curious curious what tips you would give to e-commerce business owners in the six, seven, low eight figure range if they want to grow and scale up um, on what they should focus. And and, uh, I can see so many e-commerce business owners. They, they, they start doing everything, Facebook ads, Google ads, email marketing, um, content, branding, and they don't get results after even after years. And uh, what do you think, what, what they should focus on when they start out and they want to scale to seven and eight figures?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I see a lot of the same things with, with with our clients and in the industry as a whole as well. Um, you know, we, we have the, this, this concept of blind spots and opportunities, and they're, they're kind of two sides of the same coin. So a blind spot is essentially your own strategic blind spots within your organization. What are the gaps in your strategy and in your execution and in your team? And then an opportunity is kind of the flip side of that, uh, the offensive side for your competitors, so like, for example, if, you know, you have a, you know, a company that is your competitor and they're kind of like the next level up from where you're at and you're like, hey, that's where we want to be. And maybe on the more aggressive side, like we want to take them down and take their place. Um, you can look at what are their blind spots and those blind spots become your strategic opportunities. Now, it's also important to note that your blind spots are your competitors opportunities as well. And that's something that that defensive concept is something that a lot of founders, they're so focused on grow, 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 scale, scale, scale. They don't think about their own blind spots and how that can be the kind of, you know, uh, death by a thousand cuts that not only will kind of be self-actualizing within their organization and start taking them down, but also how that can be an opportunity for their competitors to kind of leverage that. And I'm seeing this a lot with the situation with COVID right now. So, you know, COVID, it's, it's, it's been said a billion times on podcasts and wherever else. So I don't need to get into it, but like COVID didn't cause a lot of this disruption for a lot of these brands. It just simply unveiled a lot of the unsustainable business practices that these businesses were able to kind of hide and sweep you know under the rug and it, it kind of was lingering beneath the floorboards um and out of sight out of mind because it did because they're just hiding it with with revenue growth and and they just would hide behind those metrics and be like everything's great and it's like yeah it's all great until it's not and right now it's not so an example of that is let's say you know like a lot of e companies they scaled very heavily with paid social well What happened when COVID dropped? A lot of people saw their engagement go down. They saw sales go down. They saw everything go down. But what about your competitor who is maybe at the same kind of level that you're at, but they invested much more heavily into SEO, organic, and more community-based efforts? Like, like for example, let's say they had a uh, a strong kind of community that they were kind of cultivating on Reddit or something like that. Well, they have all these additional channels now that is helping support them. And they're not as reliant on those individual channels. So when you're struggling with your ROAS, with your paid social, for example, well, you know, your competitor might be as well. They might be struggling on that same channel just as you are. But the difference is now they have SEO and they have all these other channels that are now kind of uh, keeping them steady and afloat. And that's not just, okay, well, yeah, they got some more sales. That's you're not going to see the effects of that for many, many, many months, truly. Because the thing is, is that it's not just you have a deficit of sales, it's that you have a deficit of sales and your competitors have a surplus over you right now. So what is the compound interest of your competitors having those increased sales and making further gains when you're just struggling to keep afloat? Well, again, you're not going to see those effects until six months, 12 months down the line. And it's huge. So if there was a gap between you, like let's say you were playing, they were playing catch up to you. Well, they just caught up. Or let's say you were on the same level. Well, now they have an advantage. Or let's say you were playing catch up with them and you were making progress. They just astronomically doubled down. And that's something that, again, not thinking about it in terms of blind spots and opportunities, uh, you know, everyone's just grow, 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 grow. They're looking at the opportunities, but they're not looking at their own blind spots. And what I would say is that they're also not strategically looking at the blind spots of their competitors. They, they'll they look at them almost from all the wrong metrics. There's so many clients where they seem almost obsessed with dissecting what the their competitor's strategies are. Mm-hmm. But it's almost like, they don't look at that truly in a way of like, okay, well, what can we gleam off of this? And how can we look at, how can we look at how we could double down better ourselves? It's almost just like they want to try and outdo whatever that person's doing. And that's completely wrong. Like I've seen clients um, where, where their competitors have no, so like they're they're huge. One example is there was an e client and there was kind of this emerging market that was getting a, increasingly a lot of organic search and this competitor which was kind of their you know their larger competitor like i said the thing they're like hey we want to kind of be them and you know two three years yeah. well they were dominating everything across the the landscape of organic search for those key terms but when when we actually looked at it they were basically just coasting like they were completely uh dominating that their content was not good uh, from an SEO, from a technical SEO sp- perspective, there's a lot of things they weren't doing well. And the only reason why they were really dominating for that is because they were an authoritative brand with a lot of backlinks. And they, all the other competitors in that space were terrible. They were small little brands that really didn't have like a, a good backlink profile. They didn't have a lot of authority. Their content was horribly unoptimized and they just really their ux was terrible so i'm sure the bounce rate was very high on those terms because it just looked scammy they looked like they were just you know drop shipping sites basically so they're like okay well that brand owns that we don't want to do that And it's just like no no that is an opportunity right there where it's like you guys have you, you can compete on authority they're more authoritative than you but if everything else you have a better ux you you can dial in the content you can like the, the, the page that was ranking for the highest term, for example, was literally just like a, a header and then just products. There wasn't any unit content. They didn't have guides. They didn't have anything else. It wasn't a value. And I'm like, if we just try and dominate that emerging market, we can get in and we can just completely own it. And they're not paying attention to that. Their, their, their internal team is like, oh, well, we rank for all these terms. We're fine and you could tell because like you could look at what the, where they were investing their time and their effort to and it was just trying to grow 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 so you can hack that growth mindset that your larger competitor is just obsessed with and you can say okay well where are all these areas where they're coasting or they're really weak in and then how can we be more surgical and be more scrappy and come in and get into that spot and start completely uh, owning it before they even realize what's happening, and by then the gap is so huge they're not going to be able to compete. And and yeah, right. it was very very effective for them. They completely own that market now. And also, what's interesting is that some of those other brands that were kind of you know scrappy and and not. Uh, in a a bad way, like not very good, they've started kind of getting better and better, but we now have a leg up over them and we're going to keep that leg up over them. Whereas that, uh, that bigger brand, like they're just still coasting and like they're now on the bottom of page one for a lot of those terms. So that's just kind of one, one example of, of how you can kind of, uh, you know, leverage those strategic blind spots and opportunities in, in a very tactical and simple way, Uh, Another example and how we actually found that opportunity was they had not been doing a lot of non-branded organic, uh, sorry, paid search. They had tested it with an agency. It hadn't really gone very well. And so they just said, okay, well, that's really not for us. We're going to put our our marketing dollars somewhere else. So we did this kind of uh, strategic test And we, we did about $50,000 in revenue or sorry, $50,000 in ad spend. And that ended up equating to several million dollars in increased revenue over the next quarter because we did, we did it very holistically and we just tried to test, okay, what's Mm -hmm. working, what's not working. And while we were doing that, then this is really key. They, there was a lot of assumptions with their brand messaging that they just kind of had, they were, they were just, they were about seven, eight years old, I believe And they had kind of this, this, you know, they felt like they had their messaging pretty down. And when I came in, I'm like, okay, well, why are you guys using that? And they're like, well, it just seems to work. That's what we're doing. And I'm like, yeah, but do you have the data on that? Have you tested other things? And when I started, and this is, this kind of goes back to the, the scaling issues that a lot of these companies deal with is that they had just been kind of iterating and just kind of, they had just been uh, basically random acts of improvement and just kind of growing, uh, and, and just building and building and building where their messaging was kind of all over the place and they had kind of one main message but they had all these subpoints where there were so many that when I would ask people in the company for this specific example like what what was this company to them I got different answers every single time and I was like okay, we got to test this. So what we did was like kind of looked through all their brand messaging, all their positioning documents, uh, all of their polling and surveys they did with their clients. I had polled all their employees. Uh, we had looked through how a lot of people in social media and influencers were describing them. And we basically narrowed it down to about 18 different concepts. And then we picked four main buckets to kind of test. And we used the paid search data to be able to do this, this kind of holistic messaging, brand messaging test and test it out with uh what you know what was actually moving the needle and we did this across all their branded as well which was you know astronomically higher the and then that we have you know millions and millions of impressions to the point where this is statistically significant and what we found was that the their their main kind of control messaging was actually vastly weaker than some of the other messaging that some of the other people have been using within the company, but wasn't really ever given the time of day to be to to perhaps be kind of the lead message. And that was so the 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 VPC actually went up by almost double. What what's the compound interest of that when you apply that across all the entire brand? It was crazy. And what we also found is on a product level that varied as well. The actual messaging, the initial lens of the just the initial message that people saw, everything else being equal, n- actually changed the conversion rate by several percentage points, and it was insane. And so we're like, okay, well now that we have an idea on a product level. What is moving the needle better? What kind of messaging resonates? Now we can start iterating off of that, getting further learnings, and we can start directing the customer journey. So, like, okay, with you know, men's hoodies or whatever else, uh, you know, or, or or yoga pants or whatever it is, uh, you, you we can then have that landing page be you know persona based around that kind of messaging, and then the email campaign that you know is the follow up. We can go on that, and you just keep going from there. And so that was, that was, that was, that was a huge example of,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, where, where yeah, we could utilize yeah.
0: that. Yeah. And, uh, just as a side note, as a, as a consultant or agency, and we talked about value based pricing, it's super hard to measure and predict the value of a strategic change because when you change a tactic, when you change one channel, like Facebook ad or email marketing. It's, it's easier to see or, you know, it's easier to see what you can expect in the next few months. But when you have a strategic change, when you change your branding or you get data about uh, the feedback of the customers and, and you change your brand messaging and after you change your ads, your content, your emails and a lot of, a lot of things, it's very hard to uh, predict uh, what kind of growth we can see. And uh, also, as you said, we have a compound interest here. So, and it, it gets bigger and bigger after uh, months and, and years. It adds up, and it's very hard to predict that, I think, um, what we can expect. And, you know, just, just um, this is the power of branding as, um, as well, that um, it has a very long term effect if you really hit your your brand um, messaging. And you mentioned SEO. I'm really curious how you can use SEO to figure out what is the right brand voice and what resonates with your audience, what kind of brand you should build. That's a very interesting connection between SEO and branding.
1: Yeah, and and that's one of the big distinctions. How most people view SEO to me is very two-dimensional. And I, I would say probably 90% of, of people in the SEO industry are kind of like 10 years behind and they're, they're doing this very two dimensional, you know, kind of, uh, yeah. we're going And, and, and then you've got kind of maybe like 9% of people that are thinking in SEO and more 3d and they're, you're, they're a little bit more here in the now and, and, you know, they're doing some things that are, you know, just a, a lot more aligned with this kind of holistic mindset. But then you've got this space of the the, the fellow weirdos <laughs> like myself that are much more experimental. And it's almost like SEO and 4D. And they're thinking about, they're not even, they're not constrained to what the terms, like what what is the boundaries of SEO? And they don't really care about that. And those are the people that I love collaborating with. And those are the people that uh, I think are having the highest gains right now and kind of pushing the industry forward. but. Mm-hmm. It's looking at it like the way that we view kind of content strategy and SEO is like, okay, what 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 are we trying to do here? We're trying to reach a lot of people. We have a product or a service that can help people. And if you don't, well, you need to start back in first principles and reevaluate what you're doing. But it, you have a product or service that is really helping people. And people have these pain points. They have triggers and they have pain points. And they have real problems that they're looking for solutions to. And you have, you know, the different kind of, uh, you know, the buying cycle. So you have, you know, product, product aware, you, you have uh, problem aware, and, and then you have, uh, you know, all these other different aspects of it. We're, and we're looking back up to like, what is the very beginning of that? Like, I, I try to go as far back, you know, what, what, what is the target profile here? Who is, you, who is, who is your, your ideal customer? What is their life like? What are they dealing with? What causes them to need the product or service that you have? And this is all basic you know, branding, brand positioning. So once you have that established, okay, now let's look at where they are on the buying cycle when they discover our brand. Now let's go back as as many steps as possible and kind of intuitively anticipate their needs and start providing solutions to problems before they're even aware of it and that is where you start getting the real gains because when if you can figure out how to do that then you're going to be able to reach people before and, and proactively help them or d- help them right as they're having they're beginning to to deal with the pain points and a lot of it is for a lot of clients they're not even aware there is a solution and they're not even aware of what the problem is there's this kind of just like cloud of generalized anxiety or problems or pain points. Like one example is there was a, 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 a client I was talking with recently and they, they work with, with mothers and they, they basically, they, they, okay, they basically have like a, a baby carrier. It's kind of like a strap. It's like a, a hip mm-hmm. uh, and, and the, the baby sits on yeah. it. And what they're having is they're having mothers that are having a lot of back pain. So they're working with the, the chiropractor, like chiropractors are actually recommending uh, th- this product to their patients because these moms are carrying this 40 pound baby around all day and they start having back problems. But a lot of the time they're not considering, OK, well, I'm carrying this 40 pounds around. This is causing a problem. And usually they'll go to the chiropractor and like, hey, I got a lot of back pain. And they're not attributing it to oh well it's because I'm carrying this baby around maybe there's something I could do about that so they have this baby carrier where it, it sits it sits on the hip and it doesn't put the strain on the back like a backpack or whatever else and that helps like relieve all this pressure and boom you know the situation resolves itself and it's 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 crazy so it's just like okay now we're thinking about if you're a mom and you had a kid. Now we could start making content all around that and saying, OK, what are all the things that you can expect? What are all the things that you can be proactive about and start putting it down? Um, and there's just so many different ways in which you could do that and you can apply that. And, you know, how to figure that out, because this is the the biggest thing. And people were like, OK, well, yeah, that sounds great. And I understand all that. But. How do we know what all that is? And also SEO takes time and that's a lot of money that we have to invest into this. And and I understand, I completely agree. And that's why like a lot of the time when we're coming up with these hypotheses, like we, you know, these assumptions, I'm like, okay, we have these assumptions of what all these pain points are and what all these triggers are and how we can create content that helps change it. Let's test it. Let's test it fast. Let's test it easy. So we'll actually use paid search to test a lot of these assumptions for organic Even if Mm -hmm. it's not profitable. And what I mean by that is like, let's say you're doing paid search and it's not super profitable to run that consistently just because your competitors or whatever else look at it as an investment and say, okay, uh, how can we test a lot of these assumptions as quickly as possible and figure out like, does it convert? because it converts then we, maybe we can look into organic and we we can start developing that content so we'll go in and test a lot of this stuff beforehand and just kind of set the budget on it and and a lot of the times it's actually profitable and we just leave the paid campaigns up and then what we do is we we develop the content from there we develop a much more expanded you know landing pages and content and all this other stuff based around mm-hmm. that and it even gets astronomically better from there so mm-hmm. it goes back to yeah a- assumption testing How can you establish an MVP and how can you kind of connect all your efforts with, you know, brand messaging, uh, your, 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 all your different channels. And the thing is, a lot of that all correlates. Like once we have an idea of what works, what kind of content works, uh, using the page search, then we develop it out and then we can use that content for organic and push that. We can use that for social. We can use that in our email marketing. We can use it for everything. And it's kind of the tie that raises all ships and it all just starts from, yeah, just, just thinking a little bit more holistically about your marketing and what Mm -hmm. you're doing.
0: Yeah. 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 That's a great insight. Uh, thank you. And, and great examples. Um, Josh, my last question to you. So, um, we are during this, you know, COVID coronavirus, uh, time and, is there any good advice that you can give to e-commerce business owners and marketers what they can do in 2020 to, you know, use the next six or, or, or five months? What, uh, what is left from this year and really um, get results and beat competitors, um, find their um, weaknesses and, and, and just get better? with uh with their holistic marketing strategy
1: yeah so i mean a lot of that kind of depends on the size of the business where they're at uh the industry they're in obviously there's a lot of variables there but overall i would say um the two main things that come to mind are one are what are all the assumptions that you guys have about your brand And your customers, and how can you test them as quickly uh, as possible? Like, how could you establish an MVP and do assumption testing? And how can you, if you already are using, you know, paid social or paid search or whatever, how can you utilize your existing spend and just think a little bit harder on how you could perhaps gather some data on, on these assumptions and test it? And I think that will open up a tremendous amount of opportunities for you. And then the second thing is how can you just gather data as a whole on your landscape, whether that's, you know, using search or that's, you know, do, do, doing whatever else. Like, how can you gather some data and look at how you can make a lot of your decisions much more based on data rather than just I feel? Because that is kind of the tide that, that, that raises all ships uh, with with everything within your brand um a lot of turnover and a lot of demoralization i'm seeing right now because brands you know leaders are kind of panicking or thinking that they have to take some sort of device action and they're just saying okay we're going to do this and everybody's just like no this is really this is this is useless right now and and people are getting really really fed up with it i can't tell you how many employees you know directors or whatever else i'm talking to and they're just kind of given these really useless okrs that are very much so directed by fear and that is a whole insidious feedback loop right there because if you're already kind of struggling with either growth or scaling or even just you know keeping your revenue going right now depending on where you're at what your problem is you start having high turnover, you just put like you just put jet fuel on your problems. That's a negative feedback loop. It's gonna get worse. You're gonna lose all their learnings, you're gonna lose all their expertise, it's gonna just make everything uh horrifically uh, worse for you. So how, how can you kind of make a lot more of your decisions based on this kind of holistic approach and and data rather than kind of ego? And I feel I think is a good, pretty sound, pretty sound step forward. Mm-hmm
0: yeah and it ruins your culture as well at the end of the day and uh if you you know if someone is is driven by fear and emotions during these times that that can even ruin your culture and your uh, relationship with your uh, with your employees and that's 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 also a huge problem i think i can uh, i can see it i i could see you know, CEOs firing people from the company um, because they were driven by fear. Um, yeah, and that's the that's the other part. Um, Josh, um, thanks for uh, all of your insights. I think it was a it was a great talk with you. You have a lot of experience. You are still very young, but you already have a ton of experience. Um, if anyone wants to connect with you, where they can find you? What's the best channel to find you?
1: Yeah, just hit us up on our website, uh, PureWebResults.com. You can reach out to us there, and uh, we're on LinkedIn as well. And you can kind of follow, follow the journey and uh, reach out. And yeah, if anybody, if you feel like you're kind of struggling with a lot of these problems and you just need an outside perspective, uh, just just hit us up. I'm I'm happy to jump on a call with you and, and see how maybe we can we can kind of help. Uh, provide kind of an outside view so yeah it's been an absolute pleasure um thank you so much and, and look forward to talking again
0: great josh uh, thank you um we will put the links uh, in the description of this episode and thanks everyone for listening to us every thursday we are coming with a new episode um, have a great day hope you enjoyed this episode of the ecom show podcast If you want to learn more about e-commerce, retention marketing, check out our Facebook group called Top 3% E-commerce Email Marketing or check out our website, thebudaimedia.com. The show is brought to you by the team of Budai Media. See you in our next episode and don't forget our goal. Grow your e-commerce business together.